going on, true crime fans? I'm your host, Heath. And I'm your host, Daphne. And you're listening to Going West. Hello, everybody. So sorry this episode is a little bit late. This is our wedding week, so it's a huge week for us. And we just had our bachelor bachelorette parties over the weekend. Heath was in Big Bear. I was. It was amazing. We did some fishing. We sat around a campfire. And yeah, that was pretty much it. Just had some fun. Yeah, it looked amazing. I just did mine locally in LA here. We went downtown. We saw a comedy show just with a bunch of my friends. It was super fun, but um, we have just been hosting family and doing all this stuff, getting ready for our wedding this weekend. So we didn't want to rush this episode and have it be low quality. So thank you guys for your patience with it. Um, And actually, also thank you to Amelia for recommending today's case. This one has a lot of crazy elements to it. And there was some resolution for it actually just last year. So there, there are some recent updates for it, so let's not waste any more time. Let's talk about it. Yeah, this is one of those generational cases. Absolutely. All right, guys, this is episode 341 of Going West, so let's get into it. You know, some people enjoy composing their own music, chord by chord, and others are happiest when they come across that one perfect song. Work is not a lot different than that. Whether you prefer building your own workflow or using a pre-made template, with Monday.com, you and the team can work in a way that's comfortable for everyone. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com and build your own amazing workflow, or find an awesome template. No judgment. We've got a very different kind of sponsor for this episode, The Jordan Harbinger Show, a podcast you should definitely check out since you're a fan of high-quality, fascinating podcasts hosted by interesting people. The Jordan Harbinger Show covers such a wide range of topics through weekly interviews with heavy-hitting guests. And there are a ton of episodes that you're going to find interesting. Jordan is super charismatic and well-voiced, so I loved listening to his recent episode with Susan Casey called Unraveling Mysteries in the Ocean's Darkest Depths. It was so creepy and interesting, and he goes across every category with other episodes like Romance Twister, My Mister Once Dated My Sister, or his monthly Skeptical Sunday episodes about controversial topics from crystal healing to cannabis to Ouija boards. There is something for everyone. We really enjoy this show, and we think you will as well. There's just so much here. Check out jordanharbinger.com start for some episode recommendations or search for The Jordan Harbinger Show. That's H-A-R-B as in boy, I-N as in Nancy, G-E-R on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. In September of 1991, a 30-year-old woman vanished from a lodge in Pennsylvania. Although she was found shortly after, badly beaten, strangled, and burned on a beach in New York, it took 30 years to identify her body. And when police did, it only deepened the mystery because as it turns out, her young daughter is still missing. This is the story of Christine Belusco and her daughter, Krista Belusco. 
Christine Belusco was born in New Jersey in 1961, and if it isn't obvious by that very short sentence, there is shockingly little known about her early life and family, but we do know that she was adopted as a baby. Now, the only information made public about her early years is that her biological mother put her up for adoption when she was a newborn, and that her mother had nine biological children in total. So Christine had eight biological siblings. And this is going to come up in a bit and actually kind of lead to her disappearance. So it's not clear whether all nine of the children were put up for adoption by their mom or if some of the children lived with her, but Christine was adopted by the Belusco family in Montville, New Jersey, which is about 30 miles or 48 kilometers outside of Manhattan, New York. She joined parents Dorothy and Frank and was later joined by a little brother named Francis, who was also adopted, though again, it's not clear if they share the same biological mother. Dorothy worked as a secretary at a car dealership, and Frank was a glassblower. And they both served in World War II, with Dorothy assembling aircraft radios and Frank a medical technician. At some point in Christine's adult life, she relocated to the small city of Clifton, New Jersey, which is her last known address, and it's about 30 minutes away from Montville, where she was you know, raised. So leading up to her disappearance, she was working for a rainbow brand clothing store. And when she was around 27 years old, Christine got pregnant with a baby girl, though it's never been made clear who the father was or if he even knew of his daughter's existence. But her daughter, Krista Nicole, was born on August 1st, 1989. It actually seems as if Christine found out that she was adopted later in life because all sources claim that she left New Jersey after finding out that she was adopted with the goal of finding and meeting her birth family. She apparently located someone that she was biologically related to down in Naples, Florida, and told her adoptive parents and brother that she was heading there to find them. So she left the Clifton area in July of 1991, and her family would never see or hear from her ever again. Strangely, though, she actually wound up in Pennsylvania, not Florida. And the last confirmed sighting of Christine and her daughter was at the Mount Airy Lodge in the Poconos Mountains of Pennsylvania, which is about an hour and a half away from where they had been living in Clifton. The Poconos are a mountain range in eastern Pennsylvania, dotted with resorts and hotels and drawing millions of tourists each year. And we actually mentioned them briefly in our series on the University of Idaho murders, because the main suspect, Brian Koberger, who I'm sure all of you guys know, had been hiding out at his parents' house next to the Poconos Mountains. But what brought Christine to the Poconos is still unknown, especially since she had said that she was going to Florida. Which only deepens the mystery more, just knowing that her last movements just cannot be explained. Yeah, absolutely. Now, it's possible that she did go there with someone and then lied about it to her family, and it's definitely possible that if she had been there with someone, that person had something to do with her disappearance. But again, we do not know at this point. But either way, Christine's family didn't know that she had been in Pennsylvania at all. Christine and her baby daughter Krista's whereabouts between July of 1991, when they supposedly left New Jersey, and the second week of September of 1991, when they were last spotted in the Poconos, are unknown. The last time either Christine or her daughter were spotted publicly was near the Mount Airy Lodge around September 13, 1991. Then, on September 20, 1991, 
a brutally murdered body turned up two states away on Staten Island, which is the southernmost borough of New York City. She was spotted in some brush in a ditch alongside Seaview Avenue, situated along the east side of Staten Island on the Lower Bay. Sadly, it had been a gruesome end for her. Christine had been struck 17 times in the back of the head with a hammer. Lying face up, her hands were bound in handcuffs, and she had been strangled. After she had been discarded like trash in the weeds of the ditch, her body had been set ablaze and was still smoldering when she was discovered by a local resident just after sunrise. This likely meant that they had just missed the woman's murderer, or at the very least, the dumping of her body. So detectives took great care to comb the crime scene for every possible detail. Now, Staten Island is the least densely populated borough of New York City and also has the lowest crime rate, and police intended to keep it that way, aiming to catch the perpetrator as quickly as they could. Beneath Christine's body, investigators discovered what they felt was the link to this woman's murderer, a hammer splattered with blood and believed to be, of course, the murder weapon, since Heath had told us that she was struck 17 times in the back of the head with one. So this hammer was an automotive hammer generally utilized by auto mechanics to hammer out dents in the bodies of vehicles. So that was a potential clue in itself. They concealed the discovery of the hammer at first, just not wanting to kind of rile the public. But by later that day, investigators announced that they had put together a profile of the victim because, you know, they don't they don't know who she is at this point. So she was a white woman believed to be as young as 16 or as old as 27 and had been wearing a black knit dress with a fuchsia collar and pockets. Underneath, she wore a white bra and black thong underwear with multicolored flowers on it. She was wearing white size 8 tennis shoes called balloon sneakers from brand Tom McCann, which was sold in Kmart and Sears stores. She had been wearing two necklaces at the time. One was a 20-inch gold rope chain, and the other was an 18-inch gold herringbone necklace. On her hand, she wore a black ring with a watch face and an adjustable band. And with her, she had 30 cents in change and a pack of cigarettes. On her lower right backside, she bore a red and blue scorpion tattoo that may have been a nod to an astrological sign. She had brown eyes and curly or wavy brown hair. She stood at five feet, five inches tall and weighed about 120 pounds. So not the most specific description, but at least the tattoo and the jewelry kind of were. But with no identification, police released a sketch and a description of the victim, just hoping someone would at least be able to identify her, even if they had no idea who may have murdered her. In comparison to the 7 million people living in the rest of New York City, Staten Island hosted a comparatively small population of 380,000 people. But no one came forward to claim her. And I mean, Jane and John Doe's are difficult because these people could come from anywhere. I mean, we covered the Lady of the Dunes case on our Patreon last year, who was a Jane Doe that had been found murdered on Cape Cod in Massachusetts in 1974. And that case was massive, but still, it took until late 2022 for them to solve the case. And a big reason her identity wasn't uncovered sooner is because she had been last seen in either California or Tennessee. They're not exactly sure. 
And again, she was found in Massachusetts. So same with today's case, like being found on Staten Island doesn't mean she was from Staten Island. So it would make sense why no one was coming forward locally. Absolutely. And that, again, you know, like you said, it makes it so much harder when somebody is murdered on vacation or they're, you know, taking a trip or they had just recently moved because it's like you said, I mean, who's going to be there in Staten Island to identify her when she's from a completely different part of the country. Exactly. And especially more so in this day and age as well. This is the early 90s. Like anybody could kind of go on a trip. They're not posting on social media. Maybe they're not letting people know where they're going. Like people can just kind of move about as they will. So it was a lot harder, especially back then, to find John and Jane Doe's sometimes because they could have been from a different place. Yeah, totally. And I, I didn't mean to say a different part of the country. <laughs> I meant to say a different state. But Oh, yeah. Well, Because uh, it's kind of the, it's the same part of <laughs> yeah. the country. But, but I mean, it is really strange that she was last seen in Pennsylvania. She told her family that she was going to Florida. And then she's found in Staten Island, but she's from New Jersey. Exactly. Well, that's why, as you guys will see, as we'll un- uncover, she it took a very long time for them to determine that this was Christine. But we'll get into that, obviously. So um, let's get back to the crime scene because there's a lot more interesting stuff to be told about that hammer. Yeah, so obviously we mentioned that, you know, the most prominent clue that police found linking her to the potential killer was this hammer that was found beneath her body. So engraved on the handle was the name Lloyd L. And Lloyd was spelled with only one L. Which is not very common. No, it's not. So obviously police believe this to be the name of their perpetrator. And they were actually able to track down someone with this name, and they were able to speak with him. Now, the Staten Island District Attorney, Michael McMahon, said, quote, That's as far as it got. There was no other indication that he was involved. He couldn't be prosecuted or exonerated at the time, given the circumstances that we knew. Um, he also added that this particular Lloyd has since passed away and has never been formally linked to this murder. And while it was thought to be the first name with the first initial of a surname, it's equally possible that the hammer's owner had been crudely carving it into the wooden handle and messed up the first time, accounting for this second L. Obviously, because of the brutal nature of this crime, investigators assumed whoever the perp was was someone who knew the victim, which made things exponentially difficult considering that they didn't have a clue who the victim was at this point. But they felt confident about this fact since the overkill of more than a dozen hits from a hammer felt really, like, retaliatory and also um, very, like, personal. So Michael McMahon remarked, quote, There's absolutely no indication that this was done by anyone other than someone who knew her, given the facts of the case and what transpired in the way that she was murdered. That certainly makes us think that this was someone who knew her, It's an intimate type of murder. But obviously, again, without knowing her identity, the case was in danger of going cold and going cold very fast. Staten Island Police Lieutenant William Quinn said, quote, We're reaching out to the public to reach this girl's family so that she can receive a decent burial. We've been on it for a month and a half now. We're running out of time. The district attorney announced the only information they knew for sure about this murder, saying, quote, We know that she was strangled, we know that she was beaten, and we know that the body was burned. It was a cruel and vicious killing. It really was. But with no tips coming in and no one coming forward to claim her as their own, if you will, 
police continued to attempt to track down the source of the hammer with the name carved into its handle. Authorities spoke to various mechanics hoping to connect the missing hammer to the murderer, and when they didn't yield any results, they tried focusing on her tattoo. So she actually came to be nicknamed the girl with the scorpion tattoo for this reason, but crazy enough. Sounds like a book I know. Uh, yeah, exactly. The girl with the dragon tattoo. Exactly. Actually, I don't know, Heath, if you knew this, but in 1991, tattooing was illegal in every borough of New York City. Did you know that? Wow, that is, I did not know that. That's insane. I know, it's kind of like a fun, like good trivia question, kind of fun fact. I didn't know that until uh, looking into this case, but that was so shocking to me considering that wasn't very long ago at all. Yeah, 1991, huh? Well, well, the reason that it was banned is because there was like a hepatitis B breakout in New York City in 1961, and it wasn't reinstated until 1997. So it was 36 years in New York City where you couldn't get a tattoo, where it was literally illegal. Pretty crazy. So if she, but this kind of helps um, get a better understanding of the situation, because like I said, or like we've said, this crime happened in 1991. That's when she went missing. Uh, when Christine went missing, that's when her body was found. Um, but again, at this time, they don't know it. So they're trying to consider, since she was found on Staten Island, they're trying to consider the whole tattoo ban because she has a tattoo. So they're like, oh, maybe then she didn't live in New York City because you couldn't get a tattoo. And she certainly was not over the age of 30. Right. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So kind of interesting. So they thought that maybe she, but it doesn't help that much because obviously she could have traveled to get a tattoo or somebody could have done it illegally because there was a bunch of artists illegally tattooing people across the city. A lot of them from their homes during this 36 year stint. Um, so it helps in a way, but it also doesn't help because she could have gotten the tattoo illegally or she could have gotten it from somewhere else. But at least they're kind of thinking maybe she's not from New York City. Well, it's definitely a good thought. Yeah, it's very smart to look into it that way. But trying to trace her tattoo by questioning local artists proved unsuccessful, though they did try. And as law enforcement feared, her case went cold and remained that way for 17 years. She was laid to rest in an unmarked grave in New York City's public cemetery on Hart Island in the Bronx. But in 2008, the district attorney's office attempted to revitalize the case by submitting her DNA and dental records to the FBI, hoping to find a match. With no luck, the case was shelved again until 2019. This time, the district attorney's office, with the help of the NYPD and the medical examiner's office, made one final push to resolve the mystery of the girl with the scorpion tattoo's identity. In 2021, a vial of her blood and tissue were sent to a lab in Texas, and using forensic genealogy, investigators located DNA relatives of hers in New Jersey and New York. So with this, they were able to locate her biological brother, and he offered to give them a sample to compare. Now, when this was a match, they were finally able to track down the true identity of this Jane Doe, this longtime Jane Doe. So in April of 2021, almost 30 years exactly after her chilling murder, the victim was confirmed to be 30-year-old Christine Belusco. Now, this is interesting, too, because she went missing when she was 30. And remember, they thought she was between the ages of 16 and 27. 
So that makes things harder with John and Jane Doe's as well because they can estimate what age they think they're, but they're not always right. So maybe they're not looking for missing posters of people over the age of 27 because they are estimating that she's not over that age. Sure. But she was. Right. So as we'll see, though, there was no missing persons report at all. Yeah, well, let's get into that. So... District Attorney McMahon said, quote, Despite the incredibly dedicated work of the NYPD at that time, authorities were unable to identify her or locate the person who took her life so savagely and viciously at such a young age. Nearly 30 years later, in a joint effort with the FBI, my incredible team of detective investigators working with the NYPD detectives picked up the case and working together, we employed the use of forensic genealogy technology unavailable in 1991, but invaluable in today's law enforcement world to bring closure and justice to those touched by crime. One of the most shocking twists in this already stunning case was that no one in her family ever reported her missing, like Daphne said, and seemed to never even realize that she was missing in the first place. Christine's mother, Dorothy, passed away in 2000, so nine years after her disappearance, and her father, Frank, followed in 2002. Both of their obituaries named their daughter, Christine Belusco, as a survivor, saying that she's now living in Florida. So they both passed away without ever realizing that their daughter and granddaughter were missing. Dorothy's obituary even mentions Krista by name. But this came as a surprise to investigators, who didn't realize that Christine even had a child. According to reports online, her brother Francis still resides in New Jersey, and when questioned, he told the police that he and his parents had just assumed that Christine and her daughter were happily living in Florida and had chosen to cease contact with the rest of the family after learning that she was adopted. So obviously this is just really, you know, just a tragic misunderstanding here because they think she's living in Florida because she chose to separate herself from them. They have no idea what had happened to her. Yeah, it was such a weird timing that she had said, well, now that I know I'm adopted, I'm going to go find my biological family. And they probably just devastatingly thought that she kind of ditched them, which right. is not the case. It wasn't the case at all. Though police now had what they were looking for, which was the descendant's identity, these revelations begged even more questions. Why hadn't anyone reported her missing in 30 years? And where was her daughter, Krista? If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment, no maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, 
blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions or if you are allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medications that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, just visit Juvederm.com. As true crime listeners, you're aware of the dangers out there in the world. So why not keep your home as safe and secure as possible? Daphne and I do this by using Simply Safe. For award-winning security and peace of mind wherever your summer plans take you. When we get ready for our summer trips this year, I will feel so much better about leaving the house knowing that Simply Safe has our back, just freeing me from my constant anxieties. And also something I love is that their system blankets your entire home in protection from break-ins to fires to floods. And with indoor and outdoor cameras to choose from, you will feel safe any time of day or night. And Simply Safe is backed by 24-7 professional monitoring agents to help stop crimes in real time. Which is part of why they were named the best home security system of 2024. Simply Safe has given us and so many listeners real peace of mind, and we want you to have it too. Right now, get 20% off of any new Simply Safe system with fast protect monitoring at simplysafe.com slash going west. There's no safe like Simply Safe. Heath and I are major sufferers of seasonal allergies. They are the worst. It can even be difficult to host this show when our noses are all clogged up. We have tried brand after brand, but luckily, for those of us who live with symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin Clear with Claritin D. And big shout out to Claritin for supporting this show and providing us with samples. Designed for serious allergy sufferers, Claritin D has two powerful ingredients in just one pill that relieve your allergy symptoms and decongest your nose so that you can breathe better. I feel like I sneeze all day long. I always have an itchy face, but now I can actually go outside in the grass and not have a sneeze attack or be stuffed up thanks to Claritin D. Are you ready to live as if you don't have allergies? It's time to live Claritin clear. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now for a discount so that you can live Claritin clear. Use as directed. We know you guys love a good mystery, especially one with twists and turns. Am I right? This is why you guys are going to love June's journey. 
Step into the role of June Parker while she tries to uncover the mystery of her sister's murder in the roaring 1920s. In this hidden object mystery game, put your detective skills to the test. While you're on this quest to uncover a scandalous hidden family secret, you can customize your very own luxurious estate island and let your imagination run wild. Daphne and I actually love to play this game together because you can chat with and play with or against other players by joining a detective club. You'll even get the chance to play in a detective league to put your skills to the test. It is truly so much fun. You guys are going to love it. So what do you think? Can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. Investigators were astounded when they learned from Christine's brother that she had a two-year-old daughter at the time of her disappearance and that they had supposedly left for Florida together. There were no signs of Krista, who had just turned two at the time, anywhere near her mother's body. So this meant that they had a disappearance and abduction or another murder on their hands. Law enforcement continued to investigate the murder and disappearance quietly and privately for two years. But as progress stalled and there were no new discoveries after they confirmed Christine's identity, they made the decision to open up their findings to the public, just hoping that someone with information would come forward. But as the story hit headlines and Christine's identity became public knowledge in March of 2021, the case received a renewed sense of vigor and investigators were hopeful once again. District Attorney Michael McMahon announced, quote, We have already notified Belusco's family of her death and we continue to make all efforts to also locate Krista Nicole so we can let her know about who her mother was and what has been done to bring justice to this case. While this is a story about a brutal and depraved act of violence that killed a young woman in her prime and the dumping of her body in a lonely and desolate field on the east shore of Staten Island exactly 31 and a half years ago, it is also a story about our dogged, dedicated detectives and detective investigators and my persistent and purposeful prosecutors. So they released baby pictures of Krista and a description of what she looked like when she disappeared in hopes of sparking a memory in, you know, anybody out in the public. They also noted Krista's birthday and that she was about two feet, four inches tall and weighed 30 pounds. Like her mom, she had brown hair and brown eyes. But this was difficult in itself because babies obviously grow fast and their appearances change. So it's no wonder they didn't get any hits. Because at this point, if Krista was alive, she would be in her early 30s. She probably wouldn't recognize a baby photo of herself because if she was abducted by somebody and raised by somebody else, they probably wouldn't have had pictures. Yeah, they wouldn't have really any references. Most right. likely. Most likely. So, I mean, they did still try just in case anybody out there would have recognized her. But to this day, investigators have not found a single trace of her since she disappeared 32 years ago. They continue to circulate her picture and information, including an age-progressed photo, just hoping that someone will know or recognize her and come forward. So check out our socials for those photos. It's definitely feasible that Krista was either abducted or trafficked, 
and raised under a different name and that she's still alive to this day. But without knowing where she is, it would be impossible to connect the dots between Krista's disappearance and Christine's murder. But if Krista was also murdered, where is Krista's body? And why had it not been found with Christine's? And most importantly, who had done this to them? Though police have stated at the time and have since stated again that they do not believe that a serial killer was involved, there's a few cases that have drawn some similarities. For a time, Christine was considered a potential victim of New York serial killer Joel Rifkin. Joel lived on Long Island, New York, and is believed to be responsible for as many as 17 murders in that area. After his arrest in 1993, he was convicted for the murders of nine women, two of whom were never identified and remain nameless to this day. And all of his victims were women in their 20s and 30s and fit the profile of Christine Belusco. But ultimately, he was not found to be connected. Christine was also a possible victim of the Long Island serial killer, who we now know is likely to be Rex Hewerman. And we did cover that case, so if you want to go check out um, that episode, it is episode 322, so go check that out. But because of where she was found and how she was disposed of, it's likely that he is not responsible for Christine's murder. Yeah, and the the cause of death and just how her body was burned, it doesn't really match um, the Long Island serial killer's MO, but obviously I get why people are at least wondering. So another man investigated was Lloyd Groves, who, like the first Lloyd investigated, spelled his name with only one L. Now, though this connection may be kind of a stretch, admittedly, there are some coincidences. So Lloyd lived in Lock Haven, Pennsylvania, which is about two hours from the Poconos Mountains where Christine and Krista were last seen. And he lived there with his wife and two small children, and he was employed by a local paper company. So it was there that he met Kathy Heckel, who was also married with two children, and the two became involved in an affair. On July 15th, 1991, Kathy left their mutual workplace for what she said was a lunch meeting. But Lloyd had also been unaccounted for at this time. When Kathy failed to return home, her father actually reported her missing, and then her car turned up in a hospital parking lot two days later. Once the news of the affair broke, Lloyd became a prime suspect in her disappearance. A friend of Kathy's even told the police that she had been wanting to put an end to their relationship and that she was afraid of him. She confided in this friend that Lloyd had been stalking her and sending her inappropriate messages. A few of their coworkers even reportedly witnessed him chasing her through the paper mill on the very day that she disappeared. Lloyd's wife, whose name was also Kathy, remembers him coming home from his lunch break that day, saying his clothes had gotten dirty at work and that he needed to change before he went back for the afternoon, which obviously looks really bad. She recalls that a week or so after Kathy Heckel's disappearance at the end of July, Lloyd left town for a couple days by himself, leaving her a note that read, quote, I have to get away for a while. I'll be back tomorrow or Wednesday at the latest. Kathy, I love you. Tell the kids I'm at work. He also left his wife what he called instructions in case she ever needed to get by without him, explaining how to execute tasks such as, you know, changing her oil and mowing the yard. 
When a search of Lloyd's van turned up blood, he was considered the prime suspect. But because there wasn't enough of a sample to determine whether or not the blood belonged to Kathy Heckle, Lloyd got off on a technicality, which is such a bummer because it's like Lloyd is the guy, as I'm about to prove. But so Kathy Groves, who is Lloyd's wife, chose to believe him when he denied both the affair and having anything to do with Kathy Heckle's potential murderer. Kathy's disappearance remained unsolved until 2015 when the blood evidence from Lloyd's car was retested and proved to be Kathy's. In 2019, Lloyd was convicted of third-degree murder after a judge ruled it likely to be a spur-of-the-moment crime or like a passion killing, and he sentenced Lloyd Groves to 10 to 20 years. And internet sleuths are pretty quick to point out that Kathy and Christine bear a passing resemblance. And like Daphne said, Lockhaven, Pennsylvania is only about two hours west of the Mount Airy Lodge where Christine and Krista were last spotted together. So obviously that could mean something. And then of course his name is Lloyd with one L. And that was not a very common thing. And there were those few days after Kathy disappeared that Lloyd ventured off on his own. So is it possible that Lloyd encountered Christine and Krista? This theory does not, however, address how or why Christine would end up in Staten Island, which is nearly 100 miles or 160 kilometers away from the lodge in the Poconos where she was last seen, which is actually only a two-hour drive, so it wouldn't have been that hard for someone in Pennsylvania to bring her body to Staten Island if Pennsylvania is where she was actually killed. But this also doesn't account for Christine's whereabouts in between when she was last seen and when she was found. So she could definitely have gone to New York or somewhere else during that time and been killed outside of Pennsylvania. And because her body was still burning when she was discovered, she must have been discarded there within the last hour or so, meaning police had just missed her killer. But regarding time of death, police haven't commented on whether it's possible that she had been deceased for some time before she was left there. Christine brought to mind another similar case for Staten Island investigators. In September of 1996, almost five years to the day after Christine was found, another woman was discovered murdered in a wooded area on Staten Island. 37-year-old Susan Dalton worked for a laundromat and lived in an apartment on Seaview Avenue near the South Beach on Staten Island. Her apartment was right around the corner from where Christine's body was found. Susan had lived in her apartment for about four years and was well-known and liked by her landlord and her neighbors. It was actually her landlord who first raised the possibility that she was missing after not seeing her or her dogs around the building for an entire weekend. The landlord contacted Susan's parents and they, along with police, stopped into Susan's apartment for a wellness check. There, they found all three of her dogs unattended. And this was, you know, a disturbing discovery because she cared for her dogs more than anything else in her life. Her landlord remembered, quote, she really liked her dogs. They were like her children. And just by the way, the dogs were okay and they were taken in and well cared for, but her dogs being left alone was not the only eerie discovery. Her air conditioner, TV, and radio were still on and her iron was still actually plugged in. It was as if she just stepped out for a moment to collect her mail or answer the door and then she disappeared. Sadly, two days later, police would recover her body. As a traffic enforcement officer checked for illegally parked cars along Campus Road near Staten Island's Wagner College, 
he spotted something that looked like a decomposing body propped up on display. Upon further inspection, it was Susan, who had been left naked atop an abandoned auto part about 40 feet from the road. So not only were both Christine and Susan left with automotive accessories, remember Christine's was the hammer, their causes of deaths were pretty similar. Like Christine, Susan had been strangled. She had also been stabbed so deeply that it pierced her spleen, and then she was set ablaze after being discarded. From the scene, investigators removed a pair of pants, a potential blunt force object, and an empty beer bottle for evidence, though it's unclear if they were related to the murder or not. When they attempted to retrace Susan's steps, investigators came to the belief that Susan was murdered somewhere on the grounds of her apartment building and then transported to the Wagner College campus for disposal. However, though the murders bore eerie similarities, authorities announced that they did not believe that the murders of Christine and Susan were related. A police statement read, quote, although the methods were similar, we don't think there's anywhere near a connection. So the question of who killed Christine Belusco remains to this day. Due to the extent of her injuries, police maintain that it's likely she knew her attacker. And the identity of Krista's father remains a mystery, so it's definitely possible that it could have been him, because somehow nobody knows who this guy is. Like, some people think that maybe he was angry that Christine kept Krista away from him and he wanted to be a part of her life or something. And, you know, there was some kind of dispute, but that's obviously full speculation because, again, we don't know this man. But we do know that it doesn't seem like Christine ever made it to Florida like she told her family, but that's not necessarily an indication that she was actually headed there because it seems that she kept much of her private life concealed from her loved ones. So is it possible that she was met with violence during maybe a confrontation with a member of her large extended biological family after they did reconnect? Who knows? But one report questioned if she and Krista had headed to Staten Island in the days prior to her murder to meet up with or reconnect with someone. As a pretty secretive person, it's also possible that Christine had maybe turned to sex work to support herself and her daughter and that she had been met with a dangerous client. And then with that, possibly Krista was kidnapped or put in danger and Christine died protecting her. These are just some of the, the theories that are circulating. But there are so many unknown circumstances that plague this case. But if Christine's identity can be determined after three decades as a Jane Doe, then the rest of the questions are just waiting to be answered. Krista Belusco would now be 34 years old. If you have any information about the whereabouts of Krista Belusco or the murder of Christine Belusco, please contact the Staten Island District Attorney's Office at 716-556-7085. Thank you so much, everybody, for listening to this episode of Going West. Yes, thank you guys so much for listening to this episode. And on Friday, we'll have an all-new case for you guys to dive into. Yes, again, apologies for the slight delay with this episode, but thank you guys so much for tuning in and for your patience. 
please don't forget to share this episode. It's crazy that it only got resolution fairly recently. So hopefully there will be further resolution sometime soon. Again, if you guys want to see photos from this case, if you want to look at the age progression of Krista and other photos, head on over to our socials. We're on Instagram at Going West Podcast, Twitter at Going West Pod. And then we have two Facebook groups. We have a private discussion group, which is fun to join. And then we also have a regular Facebook page. Yeah, I'd be looking out for those uh, wedding photos because we are getting married this weekend. We're so excited. And again, thank you for your patience with this episode. It is going to be a crazy week, but crazy exciting because we got family and friends in town. So anyway, we love you guys so much and we'll see you next time. (laughs) So for everybody out there in the world, don't be a stranger. When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment your work stress disappears as you kayak through the canyons. Or the moment you discover the life-changing effects of prickly pear chocolate. But nothing beats the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the very first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com.